Shame is the fear that we're not good enough. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my dear shit shows. How's it going? For any new listeners, my name is Andrea. I am a total shit show. And here we are again, folks, with this procrastination shit. Uh, procrastinated the hell out of recording this. And I'm telling you, man, like this negative excitement shit, like enough already. Can we please just get this together, girl? Uh, Back in the closet and I'm recording this shit on my phone uh, because, again, issues with my microphone. So just buyers beware. Understand what you're getting yourself into. I, I, I do not have all of my shit together, but I promise to um, to entertain you. Okay. So today, y'all are in for a real damn treat. We are diving deep with Terry Real. He's a psychotherapist who really has dedicated his life to helping people like us. So he's the author of several books, but probably his most well-known is I Don't Want to Talk About It, which came out in 97. This book was about essentially how men are discouraged from talking about their feelings and their vulnerabilities and how traditional gender roles and expectations result in the emotional suppression in men which ultimately then leads to depression. I've had several shit show dudes say that this book was extremely impactful to them. So if there's any shit show dudes out there who have not given it a read, I'll include a link to it in the show notes. He also is the creator of a modality of couples therapy, which is called relational life therapy. And how this differs from other forms of couples therapy is that it's really rooted in, you know, resolving the relational trauma, individual relational trauma, but in the presence of your partner, healing your childhood wounds together. So I mention relational trauma often when I'm trying to sell y'all on uh, joining the shit show, that this is relational trauma that we're dealing with here. And we heal that through safe relationships. And I'm just not quite sure if I've ever actually defined relational trauma. Relational trauma is a type of complex trauma. Not all complex trauma is relational trauma. Relational trauma occurs when an individual is trapped for an extended period of time in a abusive or neglectful relationship with someone who is in a position of authority or power over them. So more often than not, this is, you know, parent, child, but it could be maybe your partner or a teacher or your employer. But most of the time, relational trauma is happening in the context of, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional family. And I meant to say this last week in the episode when I was talking about uh, the differences between OG PTSD and, and complex PTSD about what makes complex trauma or rather relational trauma unique is that it is occurring to us during a period of time where 
you know, our brains are not fully developed. And when we are still developing our sense of self. So this, this trauma has shaped who we think we are and how we relate to the world. Like in essence, relational trauma is when we are brainwashed about who we are at our core. And so this poses some unique challenges. And so today I am talking with Terry about his childhood, love addiction, how he resolved his issues with his parents, how he helps others resolve their issues with their parents. Uh, Lots of good shit. Unfortunately, he didn't have much time. So this is a this is a shorter interview. I'll take what I get from him, but I will definitely have him back on. Let's get the damn show on the road. But first, let's talk about why you, yes, you need to damn the join shit show. This is my online community where I host four weekly Zoom groups where you can connect with other fellow shit shows. Again, relational trauma is healed through healthy relationships. It's time for you to get on this damn ship, stop floating around (laughs) in the ocean, and just get on this damn ship, okay? You can quit after a month. This is a very special community, and you owe it to yourself to give it a try, okay? You owe it to yourself. So damn the joint shit show, okay? Next, give me a little follow on the Insta, on the TikTok, at Pod, and last but not least... Give me a damn five-star rate on Apple, on Spotify. Thank you. Love you all. The truth of the matter, my dear shit shows, is that there is a huge overlap in those of us who grew up in a dysfunctional family and those of us who are suffering from ADHD. I myself got diagnosed with ADHD about a year ago, and getting this diagnosis and treating this diagnosis has made such a difference in my productivity and getting shit done. Now, let me tell you about Done. Done is an online ADHD care platform where you can get all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy copays as low as $0. Visit get.donefirst.com slash podcast to learn more. Again, that is get.donefirst.com slash podcast. Done. Turn ADHD into your strength. This man needs no introduction. Terry Real, you're familiar with the term adult child, I'm sure, right? Oh, adult child. Yeah. So initially it was adult children of alcoholics. Now it's adult children of alcoholic and dysfunctional families. Would you consider yourself one? No. Yeah. Thought so. Okay. I've gotten a rude review before about eating. So don't blame me, folks. It's he's the one that's eating, not me. Okay, I don't want any nasty. Roots. I'm gonna stop eating. I'm gonna stop eating. He's he's got a man's busy. He's got to eat. Okay. So what I typically like to ask is, was there a pivotal moment that you had in which you realized that your childhood fucked you up a lot more than you thought it did? Wow. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Um, I was already a social worker. I was already seeing clients. 
I was in my late 20s. I was in therapy. I knew that my childhood was rough and emotionally rough, but when I described the way in which my father would fly into a rage and what he would say would be discipline me, but really he would take a strap and he would beat the shit out of me. And as often happens with physical abuse and sexual abuse, it played as if it were within the range of normal, but it really, you know, my Especially back. Especially in that time period, too. Yeah, I mean. Like the late the guy, 1800s, right? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the guy was six foot three and about 250 pounds, and I was like a six-year-old boy. And my therapist said, you were physically abused. And I said, come on. I deal with people who've been abused. My patients have been abused. Nobody broke my arms. Nobody put cigarette butts out on me. He said, no, 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 this is... And I realized I was them. And uh, for many years, I couldn't say that I had been physically abused without crying. And now it's just part of my history. But realizing that the abuse had not just been emotional and verbal uh, was a shock to me. What about having a realization of not just that it what you had endured, but was there a pivotal moment where you could really see how much it was impacting your life as an adult? No, I'll tell you why. And this may be gender. This may be because I'm a man and a white man with privilege. I, unlike, for example, my darling wife and partner of 40 years, Belinda, who's also a great therapist, a healer who came from a horrible, violent family. And unlike uh, most kids, um, I did not go into shame. Shame, I went into grandiosity. Mm. Uh, my dad was not one down, he was one up. The whole world was full of idiots and he was better than everybody. He was the uh, misunderstood artist genius. And he was violent and disrespectful and contemptuous of near everybody, including his wife and kids. And um, maybe it was that, maybe it was grace, but I remember as a four-year-old looking at my parents, not just my parents, but the other kids. I grew up in Camden, New Jersey, blue collar. It was, it was. I grew rough. up in Philly, outside oh, Philly. Well, no, I just shouldn't say Philly. I grew up in fucking Bryn Mawr. I grew up in the main line. What am I saying? I'm like saying, oh, I'm from uh, Philly, but you're from Camden. Yeah, it's rough. Main line's far from Philly and Philly's from yeah. I know, I know, I'm aware. That's why I just caught myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I grew up rough, and I remember looking at everybody mm. and going, these people are fucking crazy. They're all crazy. My parents were crazy, the way they screamed and yelled at each other, my dad's rage. My teachers were ridiculous. The other kids were mean. But I didn't blame myself. I didn't say that I deserve, I never thought I deserved this. I, what I thought where I went was incredible aloneness. Mm. I was alone on the planet with a lot of really crude, angry, violent people that I was going to have to survive. But I didn't internalize it. So I wouldn't have said my life was fucked up. It took me a long time to come down from the grandiosity and realize the pain and helplessness and vulnerability that was underneath it. I really defended against that vulnerability. When you say that you didn't internalize it, do you really mean that you didn't internalize it or you mean on a conscious level you didn't? Because I know for me, it's like I really 
on a conscious level, I thought I had high self-esteem. I thought I had high self-worth, but clearly my actions showed otherwise, as far as like what I would tolerate in romantic relationships. I mean, my behavior in that respect showed that I thought very little of myself. And, you know, I grew up in with an, in an alcoholic home, but there never once was like a moment. And I don't know if kids really have this thought consciously, like, oh, the reason my mom is drinking is because of me, or, oh, the reason that my mom's not getting sober is because of me. Like, I don't know if kids actually have that. Thought. I didn't have that on a conscious level for myself. Yeah. But you act out your unworthiness by allowing mm -hmm. yourself to be poorly treated. Yeah. Crumb city. Love the crumbs. But what about for you? Like, do you do you truly feel like you didn't internalize it at all, or it was just masked? No, I did. It was down there. I mean, I was very self-destructive, mm -hmm. and in terms of self-esteem, I spent many years hating myself. I was, did you I know was, that? Yeah, yeah. It, it, but the way it played out is, I had a very harsh. You know, I, I'd internalized my dad's violence, so I had a very harsh inner critic, and if I wasn't perfect in my performance or by my own standards, then I would be very cruel. And like you, I allowed myself to be mistreated and it didn't occur to me that that was a problem. You know, one of my great mentors, P. Melody says, when you're traumatized, you overreact to normal and underreact to abnormal. So I put up with a lot of mistreatment thinking, why, what, is there a problem here? Where a normal person would be, are you kidding? Get me the hell out of here. But I wrote in the one up. I was more of a perpetrator. I was a, a drug addict, really. I was stoned all the time. I was a womanizer. I was a workaholic. I was a performance addict. And I self-medicated with all this. You know, one of the great contributions uh, of my work, if I can say that, is in relational life therapy, which is mm -hmm. school created. Unlike everybody else, we don't just take on shame. We also take on grandiosity. We do both. We help people come down from the one up. And I'll tell you, as a couples therapist, if you don't know how to help people come down from the one up, you're never going to get anywhere. Because a great many people need help coming up from the one down, but a great many people need help coming down from being from self-medicating, from acting out, from being entitled, from being mean, you know, all that shit's one up, not one down. So I went into the one up like my dad and I didn't feel a lot of pain because I was stuffed all the time with acting out and, and drugs. I didn't let myself do that. I mean, either. I got such a treatment for the first time in the eighth grade, sent to the Karen Foundation. Lucky you. Yeah. Well, I was hardcore scape being scapegoated, identified patient. So my story is like, I developed separation anxiety at nine related to my mom's alcoholism. And they sent me to a therapist. And years later, I asked my parents, I said, did you ever let them know that you were an alcoholic and that you guys fought all the time? And her response was, no, it didn't seem relevant. No, it's not relevant. <laughs> no, it's not it didn't <laughs> seem relevant. What the fuck? Oh. And, you know, and psychotherapy, traditional psychotherapy would go right along with that. It's also, I mean, my new book, Us, is all about what I call the toxic culture of individualism. Like you get a, a kid in eighth grade who's acting out and it's like, what's their problem? Hello, how about taking a look at their parents and the world? No shit, in? no shit. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it is, um, you know, some of the anger is finally coming up for me. You know, I've been sober for 15 years. Congrats. 
Thank you. But I've, you know, I hit my adult child bottom at nine years sober. But what's been really interesting for me as of late is like, I'm finally really starting to thaw out. And what is coming up for me is um, a lot of anger towards my mother to where before, I guess I didn't realize that I'd been spiritually bypassing, but it's like, because her crime to me was just that she was an alcoholic, which is something that I suffer from as well, you know? And so I really didn't think that there was, I really didn't think that there was anger there. Were, was your mistreatment primarily passive? Was the, the neglect? She wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of it was towards my dad. I mean, see, the thing with my mom is that she, she was a periodic drinker. And so like 85% of the time, she was the best mom in the whole wide world, you know? And then it was just in those moments where she wasn't, but my dad was a workaholic. And so he was out of town a lot. He was very aware of what was going on. And so a lot of my anger was towards him, but I was in the midst of like an emotional flashback a couple months ago. The anger finally came up to where it's like, I'm 34 fucking years old. I've done so much work on myself. And yet here I am feeling like a scared six-year-old little girl who feels like she's going to fucking die if she doesn't sleep in her mom's bed. And the realization of like, I didn't fucking choose this. Yeah. Well, you know, I have 8 million things. And one of them is they spend 18 years fucking you up. And then you spend 40 years getting yourself unfucked up. Thanks a lot, guys. You know, uh, (laughs) here's what I would say. In my language, Andrew, you're a a one down boundaryless love addict. No shit. And what does that mean? That means that you were abandoned as a kid. The wound in love addiction is abandonment. So you grew up starving and you grew up hungry and you're hungry. And you uh, have vulnerable self-esteem because you weren't held in love as you should have been. So it's hard for you to know how to do that for yourself. And you depend on somebody else. You have other based esteem. You depend on their self-esteem for you to feel good about you, particularly a guy. And when the drug of their warm regard is flowing, you feel great. And when it's not, you feel like shit. And you go after them. And if you're a one down love addict, you go after them desperately. Mm. I'll do do anything, just love me. If you're a one up love addict, you go after them with entitlement and control. Can you dive into that more? Well, this is where abuse lives. Who the fuck are you to not love me? Get your ass over here and love me. What's the matter with you? And when you're a one up love addict, you, um, when you're a one down love addict, it's about abandonment and shame. You feel worthless and you feel like you're not going to be able to live without them and you turn yourself into pretzels to try and get them. When you're a one up love addict, which can be more male, you're entitled. So you're desperate and you're dependent like a one down love addict, but now you're entitled. And so you demand love. And when the love isn't there, you get pissed off and you mm. retaliate. But this is physical abuse. This is the, these are the roots of domestic violence. Men lash out at women when the women start to distance from them. And what's really going on is they feel abandoned. They're one down and abandoned, but they don't allow themselves to stay there. And so they self-medicate by going from one down to one up, from helplessness to rage and attack. And then they attack. Two different variations on love addiction. Both uh, uh, come from abandonment, from dysfunctional families. But one's shame-based, love me, love me, love me, I'll do anything if you love me. 
and one's more grandiose. Get off the fucking couch and love me, you bitch. Mm -hmm. And they both come from the same wound, but they're handled in different ways. Not very pretty. No, it's fucking awful. But but there's a way out. out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can learn self-esteem recovery. Mm -hmm. And can I do a piece of... Please. All right. Here's what I would say to you if I was working with you. And here's what I want your listeners to get. If you are consistently plagued with an extreme feeling, it's not yours. It's that little girl's. Mm. And I talk about being in the wise adult part of us, prefrontal cortex, the part I'm talking to now. And then there are two trauma-based parts of us, subcortical, very automatic. Mm-hmm. Wounded child, that abandoned little girl who needs to crawl under his mother's, mother's bed. And the adaptive child, which would be the you that would render yourself seductive and appealing to somebody to keep him. And uh, when you're in either of those immature places, you can learn the skill of taking a breath or taking a break or taking a walk. And you can ask that little girl, that abandoned little girl, just give you some space. Just step back a little air and daylight between you and her so that you, the grown-up you, can turn to her and put your arms around her and you can be there for her. You see, adults don't get abandoned. Adults get left. Abandoned means without you, I die. And, you know, we don't remember trauma, we relive it. And so if, like, for example, somebody rejects you, you get trauma triggered. You don't remember being that little girl. You become that little girl. Mm-hmm. And you can do the work, I call it relational mindfulness, of getting re-centered in the adult you and turning to that little girl and tending to her. But the whole thing calms down. And that's recovery. That's what recovery looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to hand that little girl over to you to take care of. I'm going to take care of her. And I'm going to approach you like a freestanding adult woman. Mm-hmm. Hard work. It is. It is. And um, I think it's interesting, especially with your relational life therapy, as far as like, you know, there's this work that we can do um, single, you know, on ourselves, but there is work that we can only do in a relationship, right? This is relational trauma and therefore it's healed in relationship, right? And so I think a lot of people take time off to work on themselves thinking that once they get back into like, oh, this is good, easy breezy, I'm good. And there's still so much more work to be done in relationship, which I'm, which is all the work that you do now, a lot of it. Yeah, it's a two-step process. You have to have a good relationship with yourself. That's foundational. I, I just did a course, I invite everybody to, they can take it still, on self-esteem, what really is self-esteem, because mm-hmm. our culture is. A healthy self-esteem comes from the inside out. You don't have to earn it, you can't add it, you can't subtract, it's God-given. And you have worth because you're here, and that's it. And your worth is no better or worse than anybody else It can't be. And when you've been traumatized, you don't have that. You weren't loved unconditionally, and so it's hard to give that to yourself. I was saying we tend to hold ourselves the way we were held. So if you were abandoned, you feel abandoned. But you can learn to keep yourself company. If this were a real session, I'd have you turn to that six-year-old, and I'd have you say, listen, sweetie, I'm here now. I'm with you now. Mm -hmm. And you never have to be alone again. 
So that's the first work is getting straight inside yourself. And then you turn to a human being outside of you. And yeah, you have to learn. I call it a relational technology. There's a whole set of skills, how to speak up for yourself with love, how to make repair when things go off the rails, how to cherish your partner from an adult place. There are basic skills about how to be in an intimate relationship, which are patriarchal, individualistic cultures and teachers. You have to learn. You have to go to somebody like me and learn. How? I mean, I would just think in a lot of relationships, like how are you deciding to work with a couple? Like, because I just feel like there has to be a certain level of willingness, um, a certain level of self-awareness to where it's even going to be productive. And does there have to be a certain level of individual work that's already done before you be willing to work with a couple? No. We talk about three preconditions. Uh, and an OLT therapist is still willing to work with a couple, but we only deal with the condition. We won't pretend to make you intimate until the condition's been dealt with. Mm. And the three preconditions are uh, obviously serious self-medication. If somebody's an addict, they have to get some. Mm-hmm. A serious psychiatric disorder, if you've got depression, or you've got to deal with it. And an acting out, either sexual or aggressive acting out. I won't treat a couple if there's a real threat of violence, for example. I'm not going to empower somebody to speak the truth to power if they're going to turn around and get beaten for it. It's get real. And similarly with an affair, I can't help you guys get close. I can help you maybe live through it. I can't help you get closer while there's a third leg of a triangle. Unless you're playing. If it's an open relationship, that's not an affair. That's different. But okay. it, it, so untreated psychiatric disorder, self-medication, acting out has to be dealt with. But if that's being dealt with, I'll take on. And RLT, we do deep individual therapy in the presence of the other person. We do trauma work with your partner sitting next to you. And it's so much more preferable then you going off behind closed doors, having this deep experience with your therapist, coming home and maybe talking about, but maybe not, as opposed to your partner is sitting next to you while you're reliving what happened to that six-year-old and and you're crying like a baby. You know, your partner, the person you live with, has been on the receiving end of that six-year-old. Uh, and they're not very happy about when she's running the show. So when they get to see where she comes from, it, it opens their heart. It's much better to do trauma work with your partner sitting next to you than it is the way everybody does it in the world. That's so profound. Can you talk about what we're kind of like, what's the backstory in creating the model? You know, it's funny. I just finished filming two years somebody's going to do a docu-series on my work and life. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's not going to come Will out. Will it come out? Not for a, a year and a half. It's, it's going to be a year of editing before it even, uh-huh. yeah. But anyway, well, I had an amazing experience with her. She filmed me and asked me questions while I was doing it, watching the family therapy that I did with my parents 40 years ago when I was mm, You have it recorded? Yeah, it's recorded. Oh, cool. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't looked at it ever. And Dustin, wow. 40, 40 years, I was 34, 40 years ago. Damn it. After about 10 minutes, I sidelined the therapist and I took over as a young man. And I did RLT therapy with my parents. Really? Like 
Well, for, okay. How did they agree? Were they like, how did that work as far as them agreeing to do this with you? My couples therapist at the time, Belinda and I were in couples therapy and my couples therapist quite correctly uh, said, I would never be able to commit to a long-term monogamous marriage if I didn't do some family boards and work with them. I told them that and asked them to help me. And so courageously they came and they did a week of family therapy with me. Wow. I mean, I would think a lot of parents, I mean, I don't know. I, it, it's good that they're even in a place where it could be beneficial to you, you know? For a lot of people, I feel like it would be a nightmare. Well, you have to be with a therapist who knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I do a lot of therapy with adult kids and their, their parents. parents. Yeah, I, I say uh, one sixteenth of a loaf is better than none. Yeah. I'm going to do one now with, with a guy with a very narcissistic mom. Mm. And he has almost no relationship with her, and he'd like to close the relationship. So I've asked her to come in saying, your son would like to be closer to you. Would you like to be closer to him? Yeah. All right. And what I'm going to do with the two of them is I'm going to teach her to allow him to stop her and say to her, Mom, I don't want you to do this. I want you to do that. Would you be willing to do that for me? And it's 50 50, but quite likely if we set it all up in advance and she agrees to let him teach her and he's empowered to stop and teach her, they'll do better. How much better? 20% better. We'll take it. So, Mom, uh, I was just talking to you about my kid's dance recital. You asked me one question. I was just warming up. And then you started talking about yourself. You yourself. Uh, listen, would you be willing to let go of talking about yourself for another 10 minutes and ask me five more questions about mm -hmm. the dance That would feel really good to me, Mom. Would you be willing to do that? And I'll bet she will. So not everybody's workable, but some people are. I would imagine that the three conditions have to be present as well, because that's why it wouldn't work for me. I mean, both my parents are heavy and active alcoholism, so it's not going to be very helpful. <laughs> you know, the first I did a week long, deep trauma group with my mentor, Pia Melody, when I was in my late 20s, and there was a girl there I'll never forget her, beautiful young woman. And she had been in, she was 17 and she would been, she'd been sober in recovery for three years. Wow. Take that in. She was sober for three years and she was 17. She left home when she was 13, had nothing to do with her parents, came back once when she was 16. Her parents didn't know whether she was alive or dead. She'd been gone since she was 13 years old walks up to the house, knocks on the door. Her father opens up the door, looks through the screen. He's wearing the white beater t-shirt, the cigarette, the beard. Looks at his daughter, goes, turns to his wife and says, hey, honey, the bitch is back. And she looks at her father and she said, have a nice life, dad. And she turned away and that was the last she ever said. So there are people you have to leave, but there are people you may be able to work with. But you got to have a good therapist who knows what they're doing. So tell me more about watching that of the footage with your parents. Was it video or just audio? Video. Video. My father cried like a baby, talked about his abuse as a child, and mm -hmm. asked for forgiveness, which mm -hmm. I gave. Uh, my mother did that thing. I had no idea this was going on. And it was like, Mom, uh, 
you and dad had a deal. You believed that you were supposed to be a united front. And every time he beat me, you would be standing next to him while he did it. I have no recollection of that whatsoever. Sorry. So one connected and one reported. Better than none. Better than none. I have very, you know, we blame the, just like you, we often blame the one who allowed it more we get because we can afford to we get angrier as the one who allowed it more than the one who did it because they knew better i was speaking to the great feminist carol gilligan about my mom and why it's so much harder for me to forgive my mom and she said it's because you you never really had your dad was just a brute but you had the connection with your mother and she decided to vacate and that betrayal is very hard to forgive. How did how did the relationship with your parents transform after that week long experience? You know, I wish I could say a lot, but they pretty much reverted. My father a little. My mother get it. On my father's deathbed, he died of ALS. It was horrible. But on his deathbed, he asked my twin brother and me to come, and he couldn't even move. And he said to us. When you're where I am now, and my dad was a big macho. I mean, he was not a soft, warm guy. He said, when, you are, when you're where I am now, you know that love is the only thing that matters. And everything else is bullshit. That was my dad being soft. Everything else is bullshit. And he said, I want you, boy, I want you boys to know that I really want you to do better in your lives than you did. Mm. Was that? And uh, before that, I wrote about this and I don't want, I wrote the scene and I don't want to talk. My dad, my mom was a nurse and so she nursed him. My dad was paralyzed with ALS near the end of his life. And I asked for his blessing before he died. And she held up the phone. He couldn't hold it. And then true to form, while he's trying to give me his, she drops the phone and then he gets mad at her. And then she gets mad at him. And the two of them are like yelling. And I'm like, on, you know, the phone's on the floor. I go, mom, dad, mom, mom, pick up the phone. And I want my goddamn blessing. Stop it. And she manages and she puts it to his ear. And he says, uh, may nothing in my past or your past stop you from realizing the full potential. Mm. That was a great blessing. Deep. Deep words coming from a macho man, macho asshole. So one of the things I teach people when you come from dysfunctional parents is you're the leader. You're healthier and more mature than they are. Yeah, if they're still unrepentant or they have an addiction or a psychiatric, you can't do anything with them. But if it's a little less severe than that, then you take charge. So, for example, I have clients who say, Mom, I'll let you come over uh, and be a grandmom with the kids early in the morning under my supervision. But you're not going to come over in the afternoon and I'll never leave you alone because you're drunk. You're an alcoholic. I want to come over in the morning. I'll supervise and you can be with them. You tell the truth to them. Not with it, not like the kid, but like the grown up. Or for example, when I was with my parents, we figured out, Belinda and I, that they behaved better when they were in public. They would be abusive to each other and me. They'd be too ashamed to do that if somebody was watching. So we were never alone with them. They would visit very short. We'd put them up in a hotel. We wouldn't keep them in our house. They were very hurt by that, but tough shit. And then when they were with us for just a day or two, we would flood them with friends. 
oh, Tommy wants to go out and go antiquing with you. And my, my mother said to me, you don't want to be alone with us, do you? Oh, no, it's just so many of us. You're but so popular. They, <laughs> yeah. But they and even then, you know, we'd be on the elevator, the four of us, and they'd kill me. From, from the fourth floor, then they managed to get me. But 99% of the time, it would be okay. So things like when I would visit my parents, I would never stay with them. I would go to a hotel. And I didn't see my parents for five years when I was doing deep individual therapy. It was too painful. And when I came back, I said, look, here are the ground rules. You can't abuse me. You can't abuse each other. If you start to go after each other, that's the end of the visit. And I came back home. I hadn't seen them in like five years. They were good for an evening. Next day, they started. And I said, I'm going for a walk around the block. This is your one shot. Clean up or I'm out of here. And my dad said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, well, talk to mom. She knows what I'm talking about. And I came back and they started bickering and yelling at each other. And I said, I'm leaving. And um, that was the last time that they bickered with each other in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like set, it's not just setting boundaries, but actually following through with them, right? And, and you be the emotional leader. You know more about health than they do, unfortunately. But set the ground rules, set the limits, be firm, show them that you've got some teeth. But, you know, you're the hearth now. They're the little old people. They, you've got the grandkids. You've got the, you've got the partner. And um, they risk being out in the cold. So you have power. Use it. This is how it's going to be. This is what's, what's going what to my work. therapist empathize and emphasizes to me is like, you know, it's it's no longer participating in the dysfunction, but it's also no longer participating in the family denial. Well, if you have active alcoholics, you, you may not be able to pull this off. They're, they're just too far gone. Uh, but you know, maybe your family's a little less severe than that, and you can do something. Figure it out. It's day to day. So. What do you think the magic is in having your partner witness, you know, these, these traumatized, wounded inner, inner children kind of come to the surface and be reparented? Like, what is the beauty and the magic in that? It opens their hearts. It increases empathy. It's like, I have a, my adaptive child being one up and being a fighter. I, I can cut people off. I can get really, really cold. It's like, I'm sorry. Somebody I've known for 10 years. What's your name? Do I know you? Do I give a shit about you? I, oh, I go through a wall of indifference. And I turned that on my wife uh, at times in our marriage. And we were doing deep couples therapy. And the person brought me, and, and Belinda would be like, it kills me when you do that. I mean, yell at me, scream at me, but you look at me like um, you've mm. never even seen me before. It's just so abandoning. How can you do that? Belinda's a fighter. So I'll yell and scream, but I, I can't just cut you off like that. It's torture. So I went back to my childhood, and she was sitting next to me. I remembered. I mean, I relived. And my father was beating me with a strap really hard. And every with every blow of the strap, and I was like six, seven years old, with every blow of the strap, I was like, fuck you, you, fuck you. I'm going to cry. I'm not going to flinch. I don't feel anything. I'm up on the ceiling. You can fucking wail on me all day long, you asshole. I don't give a shit what you do. And that wall at six. And good for me. 
One of the things I say about our adapt our adaptive children is adaptive then, maladaptive now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good for that six-year-old boy to learn to be steel. how to survive. Yes. Right. But I don't need to turn it in my 60s and 70s on my wife. So you understand the adaptive child part of you. You have empathy, but you don't let them run the show. And help Belinda not feel so devastated when I would do that to her. And she hated that part of me that could do it. And she understood it and had compassion. Of course you do that. I don't like it when you do it to me, but I can understand why you learned to do that. What are you What are you jazzed about? What are you doing? Where are you? Are you in a hotel or something? I'm in a study, which is really a bedroom, of a little Airbnb in San Francisco. Belinda and I work remotely now, uh, so we can be anywhere. Uh, I live normally in, in Boston, but I'm in San Francisco for a couple of months to keep company with my 33-year-old wonderful son who's doing a medical residency here. I just left. I lived there for nine years and I left last December. Where are you now? I'm in Florida. It's a fucking shit show out there, dude. Where are you living? On Bernal Heights. Okay. It's nice up there. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's a nice, it's very diverse. Anyway, so I'm in San Francisco and then we go to Costa Rica and then we come back and then we go to Martha's Vineyard where I am now for the summer. So I have a nice life at 73. No kidding. Have you guys been having some good meals? Oh, yeah. San Francisco is such an eating town. No shit. Have you been to Third Cousin? It's in Bernal, I think. It's a block away. And one of the great joys about where we're renting is that block is full of great restaurants. There's more restaurants in this, a little bit down the heel block on Courtney Street. And half of Boston. I mean, the food here is great. We love San Francisco. I yeah, it was it got too crazy for me. I mean, it was it was pretty bad. So, two of my favorite restaurants. Do you eat seafood? Yeah. You need to go to Bar Crudo. Uh, spell it. Bar B A R Crudo C R U D O. Oh yeah. Okay, got it. And What's then the other Rich, one? Rich Table is my other fave. Rich, like a rich guy. Rich, yeah, like rich, not poor. Rich Table. Rich I miss table. the food. That's what I miss the most. I miss the food. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll eat some for you. Yeah, please do. Well, this has been such a pleasure. I really appreciate your time. What Thank you, gonna, you. What are you doing today? Anything fun? I'm seeing clients and I'm teaching a course. I've got two classes that your folks may be interested in. Go please to, do tell. Go to com. One is called The Art of Relational Living. It's, it's 10 sessions which just goes through every skill you need to have a good relationship. And the other is real self-esteem, what it is and what it isn't. And that's about getting straight with yourself. I think both of those courses can be really useful. Are they live or pre-recorded? They're they're recorded. Okay, cool. All right, well, I'll put it in the show notes. Thanks for connecting. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for the work. Let it all go.